Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh from the podcast team at Qalam. We wanted to wish you a very blessed Ramadan. This month you can expect daily uploads that will include reflections, khatiras and khutbas all from our new campus Alhamdulillah. If you benefit from this content, please give generously at supportqalam.com. 100% of your donations goes towards the means of providing accessible Islamic knowledge to people around the world. Jazakumullah khairan for listening. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatimil anbiya. Wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya. Amma ba'd. We find ourselves at times in a position that we recognize something is wrong, yet we find ourselves right back there again. Persistence, that we keep doing it again and again and again. When we were students in Madrasa, one day one of our teachers was running late to class. So one of my classmates, he asked a question. He said, let's see if we can answer a question collectively. So he asked a question. What's the most effective way to leave a sin? So someone offered a proposal. Someone said one thing, avoid it. Another person said, you know, if you do it, then give yourself a penalty where you'll give a dollar for every time you commit the sin. A few people said a few things. At the end of it, the student that was sitting next to me, he said, the only way to truly leave a sin is to change your perspective on it. Because avoidance will only push out your return to that sin. At some point, you'll absorb the penalties or you'll ignore them. But the only way this really changes is if you change your perspective. Shaitan very clearly in the Quran says to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that I will take their deeds and I will beautify in front of them things. Things that are inherently impure and filthy and dirty that aren't good for you and they harm you. And everything lines up against it. Shaitan says, I will find a way to have the insan, the human being, attracted just to that. Therefore, the famous Arabic proverb, Al-insanu harisun fima munia'ah. That when you tell someone that you can't have something, if I were to tell you right now, don't think of a pink elephant, it's possible that within 10 seconds, everyone's already thought of one. What does that even look like? Because when you tell someone they can't do something, then it becomes impulsive behavior that I have to do it. I have to push myself. I must do it. And this is important specifically in another context when we talk about dealing with waswasa, when we talk about dealing with distractions. There are some thoughts that will come in your mind that you're worshiping that are illogical thoughts that just come and constantly bother you. If you keep trying to avoid those thoughts by saying, I have to avoid you, I have to avoid you, you end up falling back into the trap of engaging with those thoughts again. So you let them pass by. And rather than saying, I'm not going to focus on you, oh ill thought, what you do is, you focus on what you are doing. Let me bring my attention back to my Fatiha. Let me bring my attention back to my Rukur. Let me focus a little extra on my Sajda. Where you make a goal that every time I pray Salah, there will be at least a moment, or at least three seconds, or one sajda that I won't focus on anything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. My pure focus will be on the statement, Subhana Rabbi al-A'la. This 
concept of positive and negative associations are very important if we want to have any chance at dealing with sin. What shaitan does is that he takes things that are negative and assigns to them positive associations. So now people become interested in that. A great example of this would be if you're thinking of something more practical, tobacco and cigarette consumption, cigarette smoking and tobacco consumption. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it was viewed as a praiseworthy thing. When you watched movies, it was common that the, uh, the good character in the movie or in the show was seen publicly consuming some form of tobacco, which was a sign of this person being elite, or it was a sign of this person being very cool, or this was the in thing to do. It became common practice. Everyone started smoking and lungs of human beings began to deteriorate and the death rate went up and all sorts of problems surfaced. So now what many governments across the world started doing was they started printing on cigarette packages that smoking caused cancer. It leads to horrible lungs and they put up pictures there and there were these massive campaigns and the idea was it's the same product. But if, we, if our messaging is strong, and if it's repeated, and if it's loud and clear, we can nudge people from having a positive association to smoking to now having a negative association. It all starts there. A young man came to Rasulullah and said, O Messenger of Allah, I desire zina. He wanted to engage in a haram interaction, a haram sexual interaction. Now this conversation could have gone in many directions. Are you out of your mind? That could have been one way. A slap across the face? That could have been another way. That is haram? That could have been another situation. Rather what Rasulullah did was, he changed the person's perspective. That this sin that you are so excited about, imagine it was your own family member. Perspective changed. This individual is no longer interested. This is Rasulullah's hikmah his wisdom. There was no need for a lengthy, long lecture. It was a matter of using the right words to change perspective. Your kids see other kids who are addicted to their tablets and their phones, and then they say to you that, Mama, Baba, why don't you get me a tablet? So either you can go into the defense and start being defensive and explain why you're not doing it, or you can go into the offense and say, hey, buddy, why don't we stop and look at this? Does this person look like a human being or a zombie? And if we can agree this person looks less like a human being because their ability to interact with fellow human beings is diminished by the fact that they have a tablet in their hand and they are now on this downward path, this downward trajectory, do you want to be there? Any logical child will say, no, I don't want to be there. You're on the path of changing the way they perceive that thing. This is what needs to happen. This is the solve to pornography. This is a solve to drugs. This is a solve to arrogance. This is a solve to all sins, actually. If you read the works of Imam Ghazali, when he talks about arrogance and backbiting, he changes your perspective. That's what he focuses on. He gives action items that do these things to avoid it, but a lot of his focus is on perspective. That you as an arrogant person, I want you to stop. This is the thing that he says. Imagine you are the observer and the arrogant person is in front of you how do you view this individual? Would you tolerate this person? Would you, desire to be, would you desire to sit with this person? How obnoxious would you view this individual to be? 
that they can't stop talking about themselves, can't stop putting other people down, well now know that this is how people feel about you. When you backbite someone, imagine someone backbited you, how would you feel? What harm are they causing to society? Now apply that to yourself. It's a constant a reality check where you're putting things into perspective again. That if it was my child who was running around in the masjid, would I want for people to be tolerant with them or not? Everyone would say yes, of course. But the moment it's someone else's child, all tolerance goes out the window and zuhud and taqwa shoots to the roof. You're disturbing the khushu' and my salah, Habibi. Rabia Basri right here, Hassan al-Basri. Super khushu' person. May Allah increase us all in khushu'. Tolerance. You look at other people and you offer them husnudhan. Good thought for themselves, good thought for them. One of my teachers, we used to call him Sufi Sam. He was a very pious, righteous man. He taught us, uh, I studied with him for multiple years, alhamdulillah. I studied the Muatta Ibn Malik with him. I studied fiqh with him, alhamdulillah, many years. He was a very pious person, wore very humble garments. His garments that he would wear, you couldn't buy them from a store because he would have them personally made by tailors based off of certain ahadith of Rasulullah's garments. He had them made just to that description. They were very unique garments. They, were, they, they really suited him. When he would teach hadith, he would sit in the shahud position for an hour sometimes, and even longer. He was an old man, big white beard. When he would stand up, his feet would go numb. He couldn't stand. So students would quickly rush to help him balance and walk him out of class. Even when he would laugh, generally, he would look down and laugh out of bashfulness and shame. He wouldn't look up and laugh. Very soft-spoken human being. When he was a student in the madrasa, where I studied, he was a student there 40 years earlier. And the madrasa would receive their water from a well. This was in England. So the, the well went dry and the students went to our Sheikh, Sheikh Yusuf rahimahullah, and they said to him that the well has gone dry. So he said, I take Tahir uh, Wadi with you. That was Sufi Saab's name. He used to call him Tahir. His actual name was Tahir Wadi. He said, take Tahir with you and have him lead you in dua, inshallah, Allah will fill the well. And as a young student, when they took him, he was the one who led them in dua and congregation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his infinite mercy and kindness, uh, filled that well with water again. So therefore, they started calling him Sufi Saab. You know, the pious one, the, you know, the very uh, good human being. He was a person of zuhud. One day, after, he used to drive this car that was very rusty and old and didn't really work that much. It was, I don't know how he was driving that thing and why it was still on the road. One day after class, someone came to pick him up. He didn't come in his own car, someone came to pick him up and it was a fancy BMW. So when he was walking to his car, some of the students started whispering to him, MashaAllah, Sheikh. <laughs> And he was a very shy, humble person. He was looking down and laughing, you know. He was kind of enjoying the moment too. So one person said, so I remember one of the students said, Sheikh, BMW, you're living the life. So then he turned to us and said, this is my son's car. And then he said, he was French. So he said to us in his accent that, um, I adopt taqwa for myself, but for others it's fatwa, not the other way around. I live a life of simplicity, I don't push it on my children. They can do as they wish. As long as what they're doing is halal, they're giving their zakat, they're giving their sadaqah, they're doing their part, 
They can drive whatever car they want and live in whatever, we live in whatever luxury they want. But as for myself, I have chosen a standard that I won't impose on anyone else. He never told anyone to walk the way he did, eat the way he did, dress, never. Actually among the students, he didn't even like people following him when he walked in the hallway. He would say to them, don't walk behind me. I'm okay alone where I am. I saw him on Hajj many years and he would always just be alone. I once, we were on a bus driving on the way to Arafah and I remember seeing on the side of the road, he was just walking his way to Arafah from, from Mina. Very simple, humble person. But this statement of his is worth its weight in gold, which is what? That for yourself, a higher ground. For others, concessions. Half husn al for others. Our, our situation is the, the opposite. We apply all the concessions for ourselves, but when it comes to others, we expect very, 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 very high standards and we keep guilting them until the point comes where they wonder whether it's even worth doing whatever it is that I'm doing with all this hate and pressure and stress that I'm getting for this act. We come back to the original point. In order to leave sin, you must learn to change your perspective. It's a thought. Shaitan, the marketing industry of the West, will constantly push to you that everything is okay in the name of freedom. Everything needs to be sold and they will appeal to your nafs to sell it. People are constantly applying a sexual tone to everything. They're selling chewing gum on TV and there's some sexual element to it. They're selling shampoo and there's some sexual element to it. They're selling a car, there's some sexual advertising going on. I was once walking in Walmart and I picked up a shampoo bottle and I was just reading the label and it said, the cleaner, the cleaner you get, the dirtier you get. This is soap. There's no need for that. You should talk about how maybe this gives, this cleans your body and gets rid of impurity, but they're always just appealing to the shahwa of the insan. You look at video games and even these front covers of these video games by the day are becoming more and more provocative. Sports are becoming more and more provocative. Just constantly going to the shahwa of the human being. We have to put a stop to this. And our worldview needs to be commanded by something greater. Therefore the ulama, they say that when a person sins persistently, one of the other causes is that they haven't changed the environment. Because if you repent from a sin, but your environment is the same, you'll end up right back there again. We all know the hadith of Bukhari regarding the man who killed 99, right? And then he killed 100. And then the person said to him, then in order for you to get tawbah, what do you need to do? You need to change your environment. You got to move. Is that a drastic decision? Sure it is. But is it worth it? Absolutely worth it. Right? Similarly, the ulama, they say that when a person becomes persistent in sin, it's very possible, the reason may be, that they are overly hopeful in the mercy of Allah, that Allah will forgive me. I'll do tawbah later on. It's not a big deal. So the solution to all of this, each, obviously each of these points have their own individual solution, but if I were to give one big solution, allowing us to push this conversation forward that we've been having for the last 20, 20 23 nights, it's what the Quran talks of. It's a solution that is broad, universal, yet so meaningful and so powerful that if a person were to truly understand this message, and internalize this message. You would understand and appreciate why the Quran speaks of it so frequently and how this one thing can change everything. It can change your perspective of sin. 
It can give you the strength to stand against your nafs. It'll allow you to take shaitan and his whispers and throw them against the wall out the door. This one characteristic that must be developed. It's, it's honestly the, 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 the middle point, the peak, that all sins end here and all righteousness starts here. And that turning point is what the Quran refers to as taqwa. This is where it all boils down to. وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَى That you must build taqwa. What is taqwa? Some people translate it as fearing Allah. That can be a component of taqwa, not necessarily the true definition of it. Umar once asked a companion, what is taqwa? Explain to me. So he gave an analogy. He said, imagine you're walking on a path that's full of pricks and thorns. Or in our context, imagine you're driving on a road and there's ice everywhere. When you drive, how do you drive? You're very mindful, you're alert, you're focused, both hands on the wheel, not distracted. Tell everyone, shh, don't want to hear it. Everyone, you can talk later. I have to stay focused. When you're walking on this path and there are thorns and pricks everywhere, you lift your garment so you can see clearly and you keep your eyes focused and you place your foot in one place that's clean and you only put it there and not anywhere else. And then you plan where the next foot is gonna go. And if you don't pay attention, you will hurt yourself. He said, this is taqwa. To be conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To protect yourself. This taqwa, waqin in Arabic means to protect yourself. Therefore, we make this dua, waqina adab nar Oh Allah, protect us. Save us. It's a, it's a command form. It's a request to Allah. Waqina adab nar Save us from the fire of hell. Understanding taqwa is very important. And then, how do we develop this taqwa and bring it into our lives? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us life and tawfiq, we will continue this conversation in the nights ahead of us. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa